Flipping egg. Happy I was kicked off early. What's up with you two? We've had a disagreement. And I've got some bad news. Why? Why? What's happened? Well, I was working with Henry today and I got talking to him about this place. I managed to change his mind. He said his dad was going to make an offer on the place. Jim, that's brilliant. <sighs> yeah, it would have been. Only the ginger Will Smith here rocked up. Decided he thinks there's something going on between me and Henry and slaps him upside his head. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 266 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that wonders how many people felt that the saviour of Corey from the last few weeks was an old Irish man in poor health singing badly. I'm Gavin. And my kind of town, Chicago is. Oh, is this your Glenn my impression? My kind of town, Chicago is. We are Chicago bound in the morning. Chicagoland, baby. Oh, yeah. Woot woot! We've never been to Chicago together. No, we've been to Chicago separately. I've been there twice, I think, for work. And, and I've been there like three times. The last time was when my brother still lived there, and he lives in Seattle now. So, it was a while ago. Yeah. We're going to... It's your birthday. It's my birthday. It's your birthday week, at, week coming up. So, we are going to Chicago, and we are going to a number of different... Sites used in John Hughes movies. That's what is traditional for the 50th birthday, yes. I think, is to go see John Hughes movie sites. Yes. Yeah. It's part of reliving your childhood and, and movies that made an impact in your life in some way, good yeah. or bad. Yeah, I think out of all of John Hughes' movies, I think the one that I've watched the most is The Breakfast Club. Right, which is only one place. Which has... Which has its problems, let's, yes. let's be honest. And Molly Ringwald wrote a very eloquent piece yes, about it did. in The New Yorker, I think. Yes. That's worth checking out. Absolutely. Uh, I liked Ferris Bueller's Day Off when I was a child. I watched it again fairly, well, not fairly recently, but I watched it on a plane crossing the Atlantic, so that must be a few years ago now. And... Realised that I fucking hate Ferris Bueller. Yeah, he's an asshole. He's a total prick. He's the villain of the movie. It's uh, Cameron. Yes. He's the hero. Yes, he is. And he gets pissed on all the way through it. Absolutely. When I was like 14 or 15, Ferris Bueller was the coolest man alive. Yeah. He's a total prick. He's a dick. He really is. I'm so on the teacher's side. <laughs> this is what happens when you get older. You, you stop rooting for the kids and start rooting for the parents. Right. And the adults and the teachers and everything. Absolutely. Although that principal was creepy in that movie. Well, sure, he had, he had his issues, clearly. Right. but absolutely. So would you if you had Ferris Bueller in your school. <laughs> so that's those two. Mm-hmm. I've seen Pretty in Pink a lot. Uh-huh. And liked the, just the scene, really, when Ducky slides into the... Into the is that a record shop? Slides into the record shop and and sings. Right. 
And I've seen 16 Candles once and really did not like 16 Candles. No. What a terrible, terrible is, movie that is. It's probably the oh, most problematic. Is that rape? I believe it is. Yes. Yes, it is. But she enjoyed it, so that makes it okay. Right, yes. And then, of course... Big old yikes. And then, of course, there's the big old yikes of Long Duck Dong. Why are we going to do this then? <laughs> it's our childhood. Can we go and see the... The haunts of a more reputable director, like, I don't know, Quentin Tarantino, for example. We are never going to see <laughs> the sights of Quentin Tarantino movies. Not on my watch. <laughs> but um, Maybe when I'm 60 then. <laughs> oh, God, uh, she's only 10 years away. Well, <sighs> Home Alone is not problematic. We're going to go see the Home Alone house. Okay. And we're not going to see Ferris Bueller's house. We're going to see Cameron's house. Okay. So that, that works so out okay. spoiler from my weekend then. <laughs> and we're going up into the Willis Tower. I'll act surprised. Even though, even though I'm not very good with heights. I don't really like heights all that much either. <laughs> so if we're going to do that leaning thing. Yeah, we're not going to do the leaning thing. We're probably thing. not going to do that. No. Oh well. No. I think I would die. <laughs> I think I would literally die. What a way to go. Honestly, I'm really excited about walking around the Chicago Art Institute. Oh, absolutely. Because I did that the last time I was in Chicago and it was great. And that was the third time I'd seen Edward Topper's Nighthawks. Yes, which is your favourite. The first time I saw it was in the Whitney Museum of American Art in 94, I Mm -hmm. think. Second time was in the Tate Modern in London in 2005. It's a well-travelled painting. And then I saw it in Chicago a few years ago. And I'll see it again, hopefully... This weekend, unless it's out. I don't know if it's out. Where it lives. And we'll recreate that scene with Cameron in front of the... uh, Is it Surratt? Is it a George Surratt painting? Yeah, George Surratt. The boy with the dots, I like to call him. It's going to be nice walking around an art museum and not explaining things to people. (laughs) As I did to my work colleague. Whether whether he liked it or not. Right, yes. The thing about Nighthawks that you need to understand... (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that Chicagoan coding news. You could have said deep dish. That's something Chicago's known for, yeah? Yeah, could have. Coding news is deep and dishy. Is it? Sometimes. I don't know if it's deep and dishy today, but we'll see. Is it old and irrelevant? No. Okay. Well, it was this week, so. Anita Carey, who appeared on Corey as well as doctors, has died at the age of 75 after a long battle with breast cancer. She played Brenda Summers in the 1970s and then Joyce Smedley in the 90s on the show. I think I vaguely remember Joyce Smedley. Yes. You, you probably wouldn't remember the other one because you were a wee boy at the time. Yeah, and I wasn't watching the classics. No. That was a wee shame. Yes. What yeah. age was she? 75. God, that's old to get breast cancer, isn't it? Well, she was diagnosed 10 years ago. Oh, really? So it's, it's, it's been a long, hard battle. Yes, has it. Oh, it's a sin. Want to be. It's a sin. It is a sin. You know what's not a sin? Lucy Fallon will be returning to the cobble soon. That's not a sin, is it? Our Bethany will be back on the street sometime after Christmas. So that'll be fun. Another... Another another Platt family member 
back in the show. What do you think? What, why do you think she's coming back? What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Is she going to break up Daniel and Daisy? Oh, maybe. Or is she, is she going to start dating Craig now that he's a detective? <laughs> or Ryan again. Hmm. So many possibilities. That seems to be the smart money. I see a lot of people excited by this. You can maybe tell by my tone that I'm not quite as excited about it. I wasn't that much of a fan of Bethany. There are worse characters to come back. There have been worse characters to come back, yes. And, and there are characters I can think of that I would, I would be more disappointed in returning than Bethany. Sure. So, so there's that. But here I was last week making this fairly impassioned speech about how there's too many characters on the show at right. the moment. We keep on bringing in temporary characters for storylines when there's so many other people mothballed for whatever reason. Right. But we bring in new people. We bring back old people. And then we and then we, again and, after a year. And we don't give people that are on the street but never in sight right. anything to do. And, and my view, as I made last week, is let's cull this down a little right. bit. Let's get a core 50 characters or so, 40, 50 characters, and tell stories about them. Yeah. Because when I watch the the classic, and I, and I don't like comparing it because no. it's, it's a different time. And it's, it's a different it's not time. not a fair comparison. But We're still slowly getting back into the swing after COVID. Yeah, but there's, there's few storylines that require anybody new to be added to it. It's all just making do with the people that you've got. And I think that's why it works is because you kind of care about these people one way or the other you either love them or you hate them i think there is kind of a dearth of young female characters um as you know as our speculation has just pointed out there there are single men on the show who have no one to date Mm. so you know we'll we'll see (laughs) and finally Faye has moved on not to slough (laughs) <laughs> glorious the, sunny slow but to the ballroom ellie leach is confirmed to appear in the next season of strictly now of, this i can get behind yeah i'm quite excited about this for her i imagine and i have no reason to have uh, an opinion or a thought one way or the other mm-hmm. i think she'll be really good at it yeah and i'm looking forward to seeing how she does yeah yeah faye wasn't given much opportunity to dance on the show so no. It's too bad that she wasn't around for this week because there was a lot of dancing yeah, in one yeah, particular was. scene. <laughs> I know that anytime I look into Craig's eyes, I think Foxtrot. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I think shuffle off to Buffalo. <laughs> wow. Very well done. Thank you very much. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News, which leads us, as you know, onto our feedback section that we call Ooh. Everyone's a Critic. We got an email last week as we were recording the podcast from Chiki from Illinois. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not pronouncing it right, please let me know. First time emailer, love the podcast and all the jokes Aww. and joy you bring to it. Aww. Well, this is my new favourite correspondent. <laughs> my issue with the pub storyline is that it feels two years too late. I agree with that, given that it kind of happened after covid when a storyline like this would have maybe maybe made more sense a little bit earlier. Well, you say after COVID. Well, sure. Additionally, I don't understand why on earth Chesney is so pissed about Gemma working for Newton and Ridley when he knows they have five children in the house, 
seemed like a bit of gratitude would go a long way in that household. Yes, it would. Mm-hmm. As much as Sarah is to blame for having the affair in the first place, I really don't think it's productive for the show to be so aggressive about the fact that not only did she have a miscarriage, but we're going to dump her in more hot water by throwing a divorce in her face. And she's still physically recovering from probably one of the most painful experiences emotionally and physically of her life. And she has known problems. Yeah. In my opinion, the writers need to go back to creative writing school. Ooh. Well, thank you very much for your thoughts on on uh, last week's show. We Absolutely. really, really appreciate it. Made some good points there. Yes. Anyway, feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. We are still spending Canadian Helen's money from last week. Woohoo! But the talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode, Helen. What about that? That's crazy, man. Isn't it? Remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. What are you drinking? I'm drinking my Canada Dry as per usual. Ah. Well, you're drinking your cranberry juice as per usual. Yes, but I'm drinking it out of one of our Muppets glasses. Anyone jelly of my great Muppet caper glass? Technically, they're Stellies, but... Brett Goldstein wishes he had some. You want to bet five bucks on whether that's making the cut? <laughs> You're so mean to me. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Show Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about flossing me watsits. Flossing me watsits. This wasn't Mary doing the floss. That was like three years ago. That's right. This was Sean getting ready for a date with Lawrence the Dentist. Oh, remember Lawrence the Dentist? Vaguely. He was cute. Yeah, it didn't work out, did it? No, because he was too cute. You know, you've slammed that fucking glass down once. You've nearly knocked it over twice. <laughs> it's my great Muppet caper glass. I believe you've mentioned that, and that's another thing we have to cut out now. <laughs> no. I was Gavin, and you had a Greek vinyl record to sell me. Oh, that's right. Stella and I are having our yard sale. Oh, that's right. I like about a Greek. You were having your yard sale that weekend, and I was preparing for the end of Better Call Saul. Yes. Oh, what a show. Hmm. That's a year that that's been done. Yeah. Ugh. Still up for Emmys, though. How? Because because the cutoff, the cutoff for last year was before the show ended last year. So hopefully, hopefully, finally Bob Odenkirk will win an Emmy. Yasmin struggles to come to terms with the fact that Homeless Stew is a self-confessed moirer while he is determined she listens to his side of the story. While Jenny contemplates a new life in Canada, that Canada, Daisy makes a move to take over the running of the rovers in her absence. 
Mary and Glenda are determined to track down the hunky dentist from last week, but an unexpected reaction from Dylan gives Sean pause. Ronnie offers his support to Ryan ahead of his day at the magistrate's court. After attempting to downplay her recent sleeping pill overdose, Audrey is prescribed antidepressants from a concerned Dr Gadas. Faye is frustrated with Craig's attempts to force her onto a menopause-friendly diet. <laughs> Fucking Craig. Fucking Craig. Toya continues to struggle Run, in the aftermath of Imran's death, while Spider airs his concerns to Leanne. George has facts about shoes. DS Lennox doesn't eat crusts. And Eileen totally does not give a fuck. Our moment of the week was Eileen reaching out to Yasmin about Stu. And our boring moment of the week was Rita and gang planning an afternoon tea with Audrey at the Rape Hotel. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street, this time last year. Now that boring moment of the week actually turned out to be a pretty great moment of the following week. I seem to remember. Yes. Remember when they all went out for tea? Yes. Oh, and uh, Rita did... I am a single lady. I am a single lady. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's still single. Why has nobody scooped her up yet? Why has nobody scooped up 90-year-old? <laughs> I was Rita. really I was really hoping that she and and the guy from this week would have hooked up. Oh, well, let's jump into that, shall we? Yes. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with this week's recap. <laughs> and we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now, I am depressed about turning 50 next week, so we will be having no jokes. We'll be having so many jokes. Will we? All about aging and being old. Yes. I'm seriously depressed about this. I know. Our first storyline is the return of the newt. Jenny is a hard taskmaster on Monday as she demands everything is shipshape ahead of the brewery visit, but disaster strikes immediately when it turns out that Glenda has lost her voice. Because she was singing all night. There's nothing she can do here except try and call a replacement, which will be hard because, you know, she lost her voice. Right. And then there's roles Sean, George and Gary, because those are the three amigos now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. are lamenting the state of the rovers. George doesn't like change and doesn't want to drink in a place that has young people in it. I know, <laughs> I know how he feels. <laughs> Gary thinks it might be time to start looking for a new local, and this makes Sean indignant and demands everyone is in attendance tonight from seven. The place needs to be packed to the rafters. Jenny is still sorting stuff when Philip and Henry arrive. Philip recognises a picture of Bet Lynch on the wall and tells the story of how Bet and his dad nearly got married, but he died on their wedding day and Philip has never forgiven her. Sausage roll, says Jenny, (laughs) and she offers to show the books. But Philip, who is in a business meeting effectively, wants to get rat arsed first. Philip very much likes the look of Glenda who croakily announces that her replacement will be one Glyn Young, who sounds like he might be a Welshman, and so must be awesome at the singing. Philip thinks Glyn is a legend, so things are looking up. Yay! Debbie, Kev and Ronnie drop in later. And Yay, order. Ronnie! Ronnie? Yeah, Ronnie! They drop in and uh, Debbie orders a bottle of wine and Kev will have a pint, which Daisy seems to ring up as £35,000 on the contactless <laughs> payment system. One beep later... And Debbie has saved the rovers. <laughs> Remember last week when I was like, where's Ronnie been? We haven't seen Ronnie in ages. And now here he is. You're welcome. We're still determined not to give him a storyline, though. No. Whatever happened to those houses he and Ed were fixing up? I'm, Whatever happened to I that? Don't if, I don't know if that's still a thing. Is it still a thing? Yeah, they were, they, they were planning on doing it. They and were planning they on doing them. it. And they bought them. They were... 
And Paul was supposed to be working on them. That's not happening anymore. Paul was supposed to be working on them. And then Gary was supposed to be working right. on them. So that was just a couple of weeks ago. So maybe something is happening. I don't know. I keep on forgetting that they've done that anything. they exist. Because Ronnie doesn't seem to do anything anymore. No. No. Which is a shame because... He's great. For the longest time, he was the best Bailey. And he's got fantastic arms. He's got a good set of arms on him. Mm-hmm. So... They're all looking forward to hearing Glenda belt out the hits, but Daisy explains about the change of plan. Kev and Debbie also think Glynn is a fucking legend, and at that, an old man in an anorak pipes up. He's Glenn Young, and he's deaf as a post. Outside in the yard, Glenda and Philip are indulging in small chat, while Henry apologises for that attempt to sue her and Johnny from a few years ago. That was quite funny. Mm -hmm. Jenny forgives him, so long as he can talk his dad into buying the rover, so no pressure then. Philip loves everything the rovers has to offer, particularly Glenda. Mm. Daisy sticks her head out and calls Jenny and Glenda in. Check out Glenn. He's half dead. Glenda doesn't think he's the dynamic crooner that she remembers. Glenn's vision isn't what it used to be, but he kind of remembers Glenda, and she listens while he complains about his hip replacement and his troublesome prostate issues. Also, Glenn isn't Welsh. No. He's, he's an Irish man. Yes. You would... Glenda has met this man before. Yes, one would assume. I, I got the impression that, that they worked they on the boats together. And, you know... So wouldn't she know that he's old? Right. One would think. Maybe not not that old in right. her mind, but still older still than her. old, right? Significantly older. Later at the rovers, Daisy has lost her fucking mind as she continually says, Testing, testing into the microphone. <laughs> Everything moves into the back room where Philip compliments Glenda on her full bodied juicy vino and boobs. <laughs> Glenn is resting upstairs ahead of his performance later because he said that he wanted a nap. Right. And you, when somebody that age says that they want a nap, it's right. never a good sign, is no. it? No. And Henry is reasonably satisfied with his uh, perusal of the books. Rita is in the pub, just in case Glenn can't make it, I assume. And just as Jenny is about to cancel because nobody can wake him up, I think. Right, yes, but Rita's there. Give her the microphone. No, that's fine. He comes down the stairs scrubbed up like a young Tony Christie and he starts his set with a weird performance of Shout that gets everyone up and moving. And it's it's kind of great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his singing isn't great. No, his singing's terrible. But everybody's like really excited and think he's wonderful. And I don't know why. <laughs> no. I don't understand. Get Rita up there. No, it's fine. Give her the microphone. Get her up there to sing a duet with him. Maybe like sparks will fly. But everyone, I mean, Gemma looks like she's the happiest she's ever been. They're all dancing. Gary and Maria are dancing. All right, babe, says Gary. There's so many people in the in the pub. It's the busiest it's ever been. It's so refreshing. Since COVID. Yeah. It's nice. It and was nobody threw acid at anybody. It was heartwarming. Nobody got shot. No. Just people sang while an old man killed some standards. <laughs> Literally. Love? So Glenn moves on to High Ho Silver Lining, which gets a whole pub swaying and Philip dancing with Glenda, hoping to get his hole, no doubt. Rita thinks Glenn is as good as he ever was. Mm, well, that says a lot. 
Glenda escapes Philip by escorting Glynn through the back at the end of his set. Glynn, a consummate professional, knows how vital it is to carry his hot mic off stage and through the dressing room. We were asked to believe that this dynamic mic, which is one of these things... Right. So you can't really hear me when I just move my head over here. No, and you can't really hear me when I move my head over here. Just to prove that they're both the same. Yay. Yeah, so that's what a dynamic mic does. It's going to pick up Glenda's lost voice as she complains about Philip being a fucking sex pest, which of course is broadcast through the sound system in the bar, but not loud enough to be heard in the back. So before Jenny can do anything, Philip hears Glenda's complaints and storms off in the huff, probably wishing he hadn't taken that Viagra now after all. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was funny though. It was funny in like an... 1980s sitcom sort of way it was a wasn't bit, it a bit of brian rick's farce there's a little bit of farce going on right yes jenny rushes through the back and switches the mic off glenn reveals that a hot mic caused his second divorce which was quite amusing <laughs> that was amusing funny. little detail that i wanted to know just more a little of. bit more about glenna says that she was only speaking the truth henry pokes his head in to apologize on behalf of his dad which i thought was a lovely thing very for him grown to do. up and said that this will not affect their decision. So again, lovely. Yes. Later, the pub regulars are wondering where Glynn has got to. Apparently, he went upstairs for another nap. Henry checks in on Gemma, who is careful not to mention Chesney, being married to Chesney, or, or having, having quads with Chesney. Right. Glenda comes downstairs with some troubling news. Glynn is having a heart attack. Because of course he is. So as a way on the paramedics, Henry overhears a number of worrying things that could put him off behind the pub. Mostly an argument between Sean and Deb about fake robberies and failed cocaine deals. Glenda is about to sing My Heart Will Go On when Glenda's wheeled out to a round of applause and uh, taken off into the ambulance. Henry and Jenny go through the back for a chat. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Give us your heart will go on, Glenda. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not that one. Maybe right not now. that one. First of all, let's remember she's lost her voice. There's no way she's going to hit those notes when she's lost her voice. But did you see and her wee face, all, though? Second of all, this man has just had a heart attack. Her wee face. Yes. Is her, go on, Glenda, you know you want to. And she's, she definitely does want to. Yeah, but she can't. But she can't. But the way that she was uh, eager to, to give it a try, despite the fact that she lost her voice, I thought was hilarious. And so in character for Glenda. Yes. So, <clears throat> Henry's taking Jenny through to the back for a chat and he has some bad news. They won't be buying the place. The accountants have gone through the books in some closer detail and they weren't impressed with what they saw and the forecasts aren't great. But it was a close call, he says. Jenny is crushed. Henry reckons that she should sell to developers. It's more valuable as flats in the pub and he gives her a card for a company that he recommends. Later, Jenny calls last orders... A drunken George apologises for the outdoors bar last week and he gets upset at the thought of losing the rovers. He's hilarious when he's drunk. He is hilarious when he's drunk. Once everyone is gone, Jenny explains to Daisy and Gemma and Sean that the Newtons will not be buying the rovers. The algorithm said no. Gemma doesn't know what an algorithm is, so Sean goes and gets the fucking drinks in. Everyone has gone when the final scene from Cheers plays out, although this one has more (laughs) talking to a picture of Betty than the Cheers one did. That's true. Glenda comes in to confirm that Glynn had an angina attack and not a heart attack and he's going to be okay. And she goes off to bed, leaving Jenny to apologise to the photo of Betty, leaving a message with the developer company to call her back, and she turns off the lights. That Oft. Was a, that was a... Oft. I got choked up. That was a great little bit of 
storyline there on Monday. And yes. Sally Ann Matthews as Jenny was just magnificent, I thought. Yes, and I mean, granted, she's always magnificent, but this was especially this was especially poignant. We we don't get she doesn't get to be poignant very often. Her character is typically more amusing, and and the the landlady. It's character. amusing, and it's what you see is what you get. But this week it was she was amusing in places, mm-hmm. but she's putting on a brave face. Yeah. And she's very much putting on a brave face, but she's not putting on the brave face enough so that we, the viewer, yeah. can tell that that's what she's doing. Right. And it's very carefully pitched, I think. Absolutely. And it's done just perfectly. She was just incredibly good. Yes. On Monday, and Monday was a really a really wonderful episode of Coronation Street. It really was. All all. Yes. On Wednesday, Chesney's washing dishes and other exciting things. Gemma, though, is worried about the pub and her job there. Chesney blames posh boy Henry for this, but is grateful that she has her job at Newton and Ridley. Lucky you don't have to see Henry for that, says Chesney. If you say so, says Gemma, and then Anoon sees that she has a promo event at the Rape Hotel, the launch Insider. Henry really wants to get Insider. Ew. Not your finest hour, Broom. <sighs> Henry, though, on Monday... He's done a lot of growing up. Yeah, exactly. He was, he was mature, and he was still kind of, still had a funny, his funny ways. Mm-hmm. Clearly, still fancies Gemma, right? But, and it's still Mister Fancy Pants, right? But I found him a bit more down to earth, and I remembered him. Yeah, and and he's a more you know, well-rounded and, character, right, exactly. And just the way that he was uh, apologising for his dad's behaviour, insisting that. Nothing, nothing that happened is going to affect the decision. It's just, it's just a considerate man. Just not at all what I was expecting. No. This is a guy who, as he admitted, threw himself down the stairs into the cellar at the Rovers to try and sue Jenny and Johnny and Johnny. Remember Johnny? Yeah. <laughs> Bits. <laughs> and the Rovers, Daisy overhears Jenny talking to the property developers. Daisy can't believe it's come to this, but Jenny has just simply run out of options. Steve and George have set up a crowdfunding page for the Rovers and managed to extort some cash out of Rita. Gemma thinks this is a wonderful idea. George, no. upon learning that Gemma and Henry used to be an item, wonders if she may be able to use her womanly charms and make him change his mind about buying the Rovers. At the Rape Hotel, Henry has booked a whole bar just for the two of them, which isn't terrifying given the hotel's history. Henry wants to have some one-on-one time with Gemma to find out her hopes and goals for the future. Gemma sees her chance and wants to change his mind about the Rovers. His dad is dead set against it, though. Gemma tells him he should man up and follow his heart, so Henry asks if Philip will reconsider, and in the dialogue it becomes clear that Henry thinks Gemma is single and probably childless, so he goes off to speak to his dad and turn on the tears, which apparently he can do just by giving his balls a wee squeeze. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure that... Sure, that's the effective way for most men to bring on the tears. Yes. No, it's, it's more sore. It doesn't make you cry because it's sore. Don't you cry when you're in pain? I don't think so. I say "ouch" when I'm in pain. <laughs> it's textbook, but it's true. Mm. Chesney's in Nina's roles when Shona and George come in. George is shaking his begging tin for the crowdfunder, but also has some exciting news about the pub and announces that Gemma is meeting with Henry to try and get them to reconsider. Chesney is so furious that his hair turns red. 
Bernie Oof. tells him to take a chill pill for fuck's sake, but Chesney phones Gemma and she downplays what's going on at the hotel and that Henry definitely, definitely isn't there. And technically she's right. He's not there no. at that time. After a while, Henry returns to the Rape Hotel with some good news. Philip has agreed to let Henry buy the rovers at his little pet project. Rich people really are the worst. Gemma hugs Henry just as Chesney walks in. Hello, Chester, isn't it? Says Henry, which is hilarious. And he asks what he's doing there. Chesney announces that he's Gemma's husband, which is news to Henry. He didn't notice her ring because she's wearing more jewellery than Mr T. And after some primo examples of Chesney's name-calling, he punches Henry in the face. (sighs) We've complained about uh, male characters punching each other in the face. We have. And then suffering no consequences for doing so. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Just saying. So what's going to happen to Chesney then? Nothing. Yeah. Gemma begs Henry not to call the police as Chesney explains that Gemma is his property and she's mother to five of his heirs. Henry's testicles retreat back into his body. That's half a football team, he observes. (laughs) And I last saw you two years ago. What on earth has happened? It's... Chesney Joseph means, didn't even come from Gemma. I don't even know why he's being included in that number. Oh, poor Joseph. <laughs> no, I this just... This is why he runs away. <laughs> just in Chesney's argument to Henry, I don't know why he's included. Chesney, meanwhile, is sick of Gemma's lies and storms off. Gemma apologises for not telling Henry about her situation, but was happy to let him think the wrong thing while she was trying to secure the pub. And she kind of admits it. She storms home and reads Chesney the riot act and explains that she was only doing this to save the rovers and to save her job and letting Henry think that she was single was the only way to do it. But thanks to Chesney, she's probably lost both her jobs and the rovers. <sighs> Chesney and Gemma land in the rovers. She has some bad news for Jenny and tells her what happened and the progress that she'd made up until the point Ginger Will Smith turned up. <laughs> that was great. That was... That was... So funny. <laughs> now Henry has texted and the deal is off. Jenny wonders if there was any point telling that this broadly neutral story. But then Chester decides to take matters into his own hands again and he demands Henry's number. Then Steve comes in to tell Jenny about his crowdfunder that has raised 600 quid already. Ooh. Yep. That's, that's going to go a long way to save the pub. If, how much did the... The oven cost, was it two grand? Yeah, something like that. Jenny and Daisy are moved, but Jenny needs paying punters and not charity and she can't afford to keep the place running. So I don't know if that meant that she was refusing the cloud, the crowdfunder money. No, she seemed... I don't know. And at that, Sophia, the woman from the property developers, arrives. She's wearing a charcoal pantsuit. Steve and George <laughs> are shocked. You know what I'm shocked by? That the show did not take advantage of our humorous podcast and have Henry call Chesney Chauncey. Oh, it was it, right Chauncey. there. It was right there, Corey writers. You could have had him call him Chauncey. Can you imagine hearing Henry say Chauncey oh, with his posh good. accent? It would have been fantastic. I think Henry's got a history of calling Chesney Chester though. Yeah. Yeah, I know. What was it that Bernie used to call him? Because lots of characters have a history of calling Chesney the wrong name. Where did Chauncey come from? I don't know. I couldn't remember Chesney's name and I knew that it started with a CH and the only CH name I could think of at that moment was Chauncey. Oh, it was you being a fantastic (laughs) Cory podcaster by not remembering Chesney's name. Right. Well, just briefly, 
And also, Chauncey is a hilarious name. So, somehow, Henry agrees to meet Chesney at the community garden. Chesney apologises for hitting him, and then asks Henry to reconsider buying the Rovers and explains how much it would mean to Gemma. Well, why would it mean so much to Gemma? asks Henry. Well, Paul's got motor neuron disease, and he plays the dying brother card a bit too much for my liking. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like that either, and I didn't know. In, in the back of my mind, I was like, Gemma would hate this. Paul would, and Paul would fucking kill Chesney if he knew that he was using his death right as a playing card. Yeah. He'd be fucking furious. It made me a little itchy when he mentioned it the first time and then they yeah. started to give more details about it. And I'm like, I don't know if Paul would be that happy about you no. just telling all this to a complete stranger in right. the hope that that you're more financially secure, I guess. And right. Maybe he wouldn't mind. Paul's fairly easy going, but... He's just, been very sensitive about his disease, though. Yeah, it just felt like it felt it was... icky. Yeah, just... What are you doing here? Right. So, it seems to have the desired effect, though, and Henry agrees to reconsider. Back at the Rovers, Sophia has seen everything that she needs to see and has made an offer to buy the pub. Daisy and Gemma lament what will happen to the Rovers now when Chesney doesn't reckon his begging and emotional blackmail has helped. He goes home and leaves them to it, and he's gone for exactly a minute when Henry comes in. Chester's it makes you think that he was like right around the corner just waiting just for Chester to leave. Obviously across the street. Yeah, they, yeah. they must have seen each other. Chester's passionate plea has melted his heart and he's agreed to stick to the original plan and buy the Rovers, but he has one condition, that he gets to sleep with Gemma for one million pounds. <laughs> oh no. And if Gemma's not available, he'll take Demi Moore. Or Jenny. <laughs> then Gemma, no. That he wants Gemma to work for him full-time at Newton and Ridley as his PA. He knows about Paul thanks to Chester and knows Gemma needs all the money that she can get. This position will pay better than working in the pub or being a promo girl or slinging kebabs at people. Gemma knows that Chesney isn't going to go for this after what happened at the rape hotel, but he says things are different now that he knows how many children that she has. What do you say? He asks, and she asks for time unsure if she can lose her marriage over a pub. What do you think about this indecent proposal of Henry's? Well, it's not really indecent because he's giving her a high-paying job, which I don't know if she's necessarily qualified for, but hopefully it will it will put an end to the poverty porn of that house once and for all if she's making... A full-time living wage in one job. Making a PA's wage for, I guess, an exec at a, at a brewing company. Yeah. I would guess is going to make more money than Chesney's currently making. Yeah. Chesney and Bernie combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Maybe one of but them. But it's not a job offer that has been made on the level, though, is it? Because there are certain... Unspoken conditions no. that, that maybe are come because she knows that he still fancies her, right? But as you pointed out, the idea that she has five children and he's like a single man about town, as you said, that, would, that. that would make one's balls shrivel up mm. into their body, one would imagine. 
I, you know, I think I, I believe him when he says strictly business, no, no funny business, because I know that you're married now. He seems like he's far more moral than his dad is. I think if it was his dad making this proposal, we would worry. But did, did he not say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree at some point this week? I don't think so. Somebody said it. Maybe it wasn't him. But anyway, it's on record now that Helen thinks that the man's telling the truth. On Friday, Gemma tells Bernie about her indecent proposal-type dilemma. Henry will only save the Rovers if Gemma works for him full-time. Bernie doesn't think Chesney should have any say in this, but Gemma can't put the pub before her husband, which is kind of what she said yesterday. Jenny goes through to the back in the Rovers to announce to Glenda and Gemma that the paperwork to sign over the Rovers will be complete in the next few days and there'll be heavy machinery in the gents by the end of the month. Steve's had another curry. Gemma apologises, but Jenny doesn't know the extent or the reason for her apology. Benny drops by the kebab shop later to tell Chesney to get over his Henry... Benny drops into the kebab shop later to tell Chesney to get over this Henry business. Apologising is one thing, but it needs to mean it. For example, what would happen if Henry was, say, to move next door? And Chesney admits that he'd hate it. Henry is handsome and rich, and to the best of her knowledge, is yet to hit himself in the face with a brick. Bernie says that if he trusts Gemma, it's about high time he started proving it. Right, exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Henry may be up to. Yeah. Trust Gemma. Gemma and Henry meet up at the precinct for Gemma's answer and checking that he's going to save the pub and that Henry agrees to no funny business. She accepts his offer. He hugs her and welcomes her on board. And it's the fact that he hugs her immediately that I'm like, oh. So Henry goes to the Rovers to have a word with Jenny in private. And through the back, he tells her that he wants to buy the pub and intends to keep Jenny on and she can keep all the staff on that she wants. But the pub's going to be run as it is, just they're going to own it. In fairness to Henry, Gemma is very huggable. Not true. He's aware of how much this place means to the local community and flummoxed, Jenny agrees to the deal and the shake on it, which means it's as good as done. Yay! Jenny goes through to the bar to share the great news. Henry gives Gemma another cheeky hug for good measure. And at the Quad House, Chess has made Gemma a special dinner. Could you tell what was in that special dinner? Well, there were Scotch eggs. There were Scotch eggs, certainly. Then some, were they baby carrots? Baby carrots, yep. And chips. And chips is exactly what was on that plate. Chips, baby carrots, and scotch eggs. Yep. In fairness, I do like all of those things. On the same plate? Maybe not. Gemma tells him about Henry buying the pub and tells him that she'll be Henry's PA. Chesney's a bit crushed, but following his chat with Bernie, he has to pretend to be all right with it. So that's what he does. And that's as far as we get with that. Huzzah! This week. Huzzah! In fairness... I feel like Henry would be the better option for her than Chesney because Chesney's just Chesney, isn't he? He's very boring. He's very boring. He gets he gets his foot stuck in his mouth constantly. He whines too much. He doesn't let her he, he he's very controlling and very stuck in his ways and very fuddy duddy mm. and not rich. Ches- and not handsome. Chesney is oh, Chesney He's is. He's not. That that's okay. He doesn't have to be handsome. Chesney always looks like he's five seconds away from going. <sighs> he constantly looks like he's just smelled something rotten. He, he goes doing, through life with a bad smell. When he was doing the dishes, and it's like 
We're starting an episode with Chesney doing the dishes. Yeah. So because that's probably as, ex- as exciting as Chesney's day is going to get. Mm. Until he punches someone. Well, sure. And suffers no consequences. Right. <sighs> Defending his own honour. Because he thinks his wife is... Defending his own honour. Yeah. yeah. Nothing to do with Gemma's No, nothing to do here. with Gemma yeah. at all. It's like, that's mine, not yours. No touchy. Mm-hmm. And Gemma's like, wait a second, I'm a person. He was kind of this way over Sinead. Yeah. Which is why he hit himself in the with face a brick. with a brick. Yeah. yeah. No bricks were harmed this week. No. But it's a matter no. of time. When is brick day? Oh, that's months away. Yeah. Steli borrowed yeah. your Chesney your Chesney wig. And where is it? That's what I want to know. I think it's in her backpack. She borrowed your Chesney wig to uh, impersonate Prince Harry for royalty day at band camp. And nobody understood who she was. Because Prince Harry's not really ginger. Yes, he is. Is he? Yes. I wouldn't say he was ginger. He's, he's, not, he's not, very ginger. He's not Chesney ginger, is he? Yes. It's just that he keeps his hair short. And he's much more handsome than Chesney. He's much more handsome than his dad for some reason. Let's not go down. <laughs> let's not go down that road. <laughs> they'll they'll have me in the tower. <clears throat> They'd have to get you there first. Well, they have their ways. <laughs> so this seems to be a done deal then. Yes. That the the issue that we had at the start of the week has thankfully been resolved by the end by of the, the end of the week. They think that. The profit margins are close. Mm-hmm. It's it's maybe just about making money. Right. And it is it is too close to the end of the pandemic. And when I say end, I don't really mean end. It's it's far too close to be saying, Well, nope, that's it. That's the end. No more. Because that's what they said about movie theaters. And then what happened? Barbenheimer. Yeah, right. Barbenheimer has saved the movie theater and the theater going experience. So, you know, Jenny just needs to call Christopher Nolan and Greta Gerwig, I guess, and pick their brains for ideas for maybe she just needs to paint the place pink. So what is doing though is, and wear a fedora. Is as telling our an accurate storyline of the the problems that that sector is having mm-hmm. and, and continues to have. Right. Because people's habits have changed. Right. And young people aren't seemingly drinking as much as... Old people? Y- young people of previous generations did. Right. And old people are stopping drinking. You know, uh, a uh, lot of people I know our age are sober now because it's just like, it's just not worth it anymore. I'm so surprised by the amount of people and the amount of friends that I have on Facebook who... When I said that I'd stopped drinking, have also stopped drinking. Yeah. And sort of members of my family back in Scotland have stopped drinking yeah. and stopped drinking before I did. Yeah. I mean, we have friends who drinking was absolutely part of their personality mm-hmm. who no longer drink. Right. You know, and it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's just there are people who I never thought I'd see sober who are now sober. You know, it's just it's just a thing. You know, and and you got to what they need to do is they need to come up with a nice menu of mocktails. They've got the Heineken Zero, which people get all the time. Zero, yep. Yeah, but they they need something a little bit more inventive than orange juice. 
to offer other sober people at the bar. They need they need mocktails. They need a uh, you know Red Bull with Shirley Temple sort and, of thing. And their their food options need to be more than hot pot. Yeah. Because what if you don't like lamb? Right. Because it's not everybody that likes lamb. No. No, they need like a vegetarian option or something. If Roy can go vegan, anybody can go vegan. And this is it. That there is still money to be spent in the, this fictional economy, right? Right, Because yeah. Roy's has always got people in it. Right. The bistro seems to be doing right. better, although they've been complaining about how much right. their, their turnover is and stuff. But the bistro seems to be doing something right. And anytime anyone has anything planned... Mm-hmm. They're like, doing it at the bistro. Like the chili eating contest, they could easily have that in the Rovers. Right. They're having it in the bistro instead. Yeah. So I suppose you can fit more people in the bistro than the Rovers. But yeah, they need to, they need to adapt and they need to think of... Of new things to do because Roy's and the Bistro have adapted. You know, they've got that late license now at the Bistro. And like we said, Roy has vegan options on the menu now, thanks to Nina. Speed Doll hasn't really changed much, but I don't think it's it needs house to. That's always the curry house is always going to be busy. Always going to be busy because who doesn't like a nice curry? But then we've got like our little pub in town. We've got a couple of them, but one of them doesn't open now until mid-afternoon, doesn't serve lunches anymore. It used to serve breakfasts. Mm-hmm. It's closed on a Sunday. Yeah. In the town that I work in, there's there's this one restaurant that is only open on the weekends. God. You know? Yeah, so they must have been losing money through the week. Right, yeah. And the bakery, which we love, which I always bring home delicious baked goods on a friday they're only they're not open monday and tuesday they're only open wednesday thursday friday saturday so you know yeah it's all changing the 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 service industry is changing completely and old men's pubs which pretty much is what the rovers has always been Mm -hmm. they're kind of feeling the brunt of it so henry investing money in it even if it is a pet project i wonder how long how long that can last with things remaining as they are because yeah, they're gonna have to something change. has to change. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe having a maybe having a boss as Jenny will have now. Right. Will kind of force her to consider those yeah. changes. Vegetarian hot pot, mocktails. There you go, Jenny. <laughs> I've saved your pup. <laughs> well, if we can get Daisy to overcharge every time she hands over that contactless payment system to people then I don't think need, anybody needs to change anything. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next storyline, which is Dick and Dom in the mid-terrace, two up, two down. What? On Monday, Eliza is on the phone to her mystery man as she sneaks down the stairs telling Yasmin and Stu that she's off to her summer club and re- refusing a ride from Stu. Stu's in devs later when Gemma comes in from another storyline to whip up customers for the Rovers. Stu would love to join them, but he has to collect Eliza from the holiday club so he won't be able to make it. Gemma reveals that, wouldn't you know it, the holiday club was cancelled because Joseph's at home. It's burst pipes, probably. It's always burst pipes, isn't it? Yes. Stu shits his pants, not for the first time, I imagine, and rushes off to find Eliza. Don't worry, shouts Gemma. She's probably just smoking heroin. 
<laughs> and he bursts into speed dial, followed by a cameraman, and explains about Eliza being missing and how she's not answering her phone. He also seems to have sand under his foreskin about Yasmin not answering her phone while she's busy at work. So Stu and Yasmin head to the precinct and find Eliza coming out of the ice cream shop with a paedophile. Stu's about to call the police, but Eliza tells him to hold off. He's not a paedophile. He's Tom York from Radiohead. Oh, no, he's not a paedophile. He's Lemmy. Oh, no, he's not Lemmy. It's her dad, just as I thought. That does not mean that he's not a creepy pedophile. I thought it was her dad. It's her dad. <laughs> Seems Eliza's dad was under the impression that Stu and Yasmin knew all about his meeting with Eliza. And her dad has proof that he is Eliza's dad and suggests that they have a cuppa to get to know each other better. Doesn't that seem nice, Helen? Yes. Back home, Eliza reveals that she was the one who got in touch with her dad thanks to social media. Hold on, Einstein, says Stu. Take it slowly. Her dad hasn't seen Eliza since she was a baby and he's grateful for this second chance. Second chances are something that Stu can relate to. So Dom and Stu chat about how he uh, gave up too easy and how everyone thought he was useless and so ended up just being out of the picture. So he moved away for work and became convinced that Eliza was better off where she was. But now she's contacted him. He'd love to get to know his daughter better. So Stu is drinking alone later when Yasmin comes downstairs to check on him. He doesn't know how to explain any of this to Bridget, and he's still suspicious that they've only heard his side of the story, this Dom character's side of the story. Yasmin reminds him that he is Eliza's legal guardian for the moment, and they were strangers to Eliza last year too, and look how this has all worked out. Right. I'm not sure it's all worked out that well, but never Right, mind. yes. And also, I mean, Bridget must have had a reason for all of this. And also, the fact that Eliza kept all of this a secret and lied about it. I mean, that's a huge red flag. Well, she explains to Sam later that she just wanted to know what it was like before she mentioned it to to Stu or to her, to her mum, which I think is for plot purposes. But right. On Wednesday, Stu's like a hen in a hot girdle. He's worried about meeting up with Bridget later, pretty certain that he's going to get the blame for letting Eliza meet up with Dom. And also, she might put the kibosh on Eliza and Dom getting to know each other. So Eliza and Sam are in speed dial chatting about her dad. She wanted to make sure that he was a nice guy before she told Stu or Sam. Sam's annoyed that Sam wasn't told about this for some reason. Well, are they dating now that he and Hope has broken up? I don't think so. Hmm. They spend an awful lot of time together. That doesn't mean anything. That's true. And plus they're 10. <clears throat> the problem is, her mum hates her dad, and she's pretty sure she'll try and stop her from seeing him. Sam thinks that she has a right to see her own dad, though, and talks about his experience with the man who's constantly crying in his life. <laughs> and she's right, because the next we see, Stu's on the phone to Bridget. And I was like, is that the same Bridget? Yeah. I think it is, but she looks a little different. Well, Prison's she's in changed prison. Her. Prisons changed her. I'm surprised they didn't. I'm surprised he didn't schedule a visit. Like go in and see her, yeah. right? Yeah. Although now I remember she's far away now. She's like oh yeah, she's in twenty Newcastle. miles away now, <laughs> as opposed to five miles away. Right. Anyway, she doesn't want Eliza to have anything to do with Dom, calling him bad news, and she tells Stu to keep him away. So Stu goes to speed dial and tells Eliza about her mum's decision regarding her dad. Eliza doesn't think this is fair and insists that Dom has changed and she believes him. Stu passes the blame for this onto Bridget, but Eliza thinks no one can stop her from seeing her dad. Thanks, Sam. 
Stu tries to call Eliza, even though he knows that she's at Sam's, but she's not answering. He's also left a message message with Dom. Jasmine thinks if Bridget is telling the truth, maybe all this is for the best. But she doesn't think there is an easy end to it. Dom is Eliza's dad, after all, and has rights. But Stu angrily promises to fight him all the way. Does he, though? Yeah. If he's If he's abandoned her for most of her life and not been a part of her life and if Stu is her legal guardian then does he have rights he's not the legal guardian and he hasn't been involved he hasn't paid any child support or anything and according to Dom when Bridget went to prison he was offered Eliza first and he turned it down. Oh, did so that happen? Would, I don't remember that happening. So one would think, yeah, that's what he says to Stu. He's like, they called me first and I was nervous about it. And Oh, you know, that was the, she's better off where she is. Right. right. Yeah. So it kind of feels like he's given up his parental rights. Oh, maybe not given them up, but certainly didn't think they were worth very much. Right. Yeah. And, and, only, his mind. and has only changed his mind because Eliza herself has reached out. Mm-hmm. That feels sketchy to me. So Dom turns up and announces at number six, demanding to speak to Eliza. Stu explains that she's not here and he's made his decision based on Bridget's advice, but Dom bursts into the house and shouts, Eliza! Which was ridiculous. Dom reminds Stu that Bridget is a convicted murderer, so maybe she isn't the best judge of character. And Stu seems enraged about this truth and manhandles Dom to the door just as Eliza comes in and she becomes upset that one man she barely knows is threatening another man that she barely knows and she runs up the stairs leaving Stu to wonder when his character became so dull and stupid as this. It's funny though because Bridget murdered that woman before she even married Dom. So he was married to a convicted murderer and I can understand... No, he was married to a murderer. Oh yeah, she wasn't convicted at Mm -hmm. the time. Right, she was still blaming her dad. Yeah. But I can understand why Stu is upset because that is his daughter, so he doesn't... She is a murderer, though. She's a murderer, but you don't... The sky's blue. Why, Iola? Yeah, but the sky's not her, his daughter. Even if something is true, when somebody outside the family unit says it, you want to beat the crap out of that person because only you are allowed to criticize your family. I don't know. I think Stu is so ill-equipped to deal with any of this. No. And as as we will see on Friday, doesn't hear advice very well either. No, but on the end, and is just very ill-equipped with dealing with an unruly child who just runs off every time she's upset at him. I mean... Oh, she's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And who knew? Who knew she was going to be a nightmare when we were first introduced to this adorable child? Oh, she a year loved ago. her darling Pop Pop, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was so cute. And now she's just two steps away from being Hope. <laughs> she she seems to uh, listen to Jasmine a bit better, though. Yes. Yes. But she is very manipulative and unappreciative and. It's just squeezing stew for all it's worth. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and granted, nobody on the street is a very good parent, except for, ironically, Carla. And, and Gary, when his kids are in front of him. Right, Gary, when he remembers he has kids. Yeah. How many, Gary? It's more than <laughs> two, isn't it? He doesn't even know anymore. 
On Friday next day, Eliza is still down in the dumps and not even the prospect of the little big shot summer spectacular from another storyline can put a smile on her sour puss. Roy and Yasmin are chatting in Nina's roles when Stu comes in to let them know that Dom is seeking legal advice now. Roy suggests avoiding court at all costs and just try and figure this out between themselves. But this just gets Stu wound up even more. Dom is unfit to look after Eliza, he announces loudly, which he doesn't really know. Stu and Yasmin get home to find Eliza chatting on her iPad. Who are you chatting to? Oh, just a friend. Well, let me see that. I thought so. It's Dom. Stu is furious. He told Dom not to contact her, and now he can't trust him, and he can't trust her, and he confiscates the iPad. And, of course, what do you think Eliza's going to do? Runs away. She runs up the stairs. Stu really is shit at this, as Jasmine chases after the wee brat. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with that this week. It's interesting because, especially initially, it really felt like Stu really wanted to give Dom the benefit of the doubt because... Second chances. Second chances. And he was given a second chance and he knows how important that sort of thing is. And Yasmin is uncomfortable with all of this because of her issues with her own father, which I thought was really interesting to come up again in her conversation with Roy um, after she gives Roy the business about another storyline. Yes. So, so there are a lot of different emotions going on in that house. And I don't think anyone is necessarily right. I don't trust Dom. Well, you didn't trust him before you even knew who he was. Right. Yeah. Because he looked like Tom York. And that makes him untrustworthy. No. No. I trust Tom York Ugh. completely. Kiddie. <laughs> it's Lemmy I don't trust. Lemmy? From Motorhead? No, the the other one. Well, the, Lemmy. Yes. That's what I said. So you said Lemmy. Who is from Motorhead. Right, yeah, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'll bring that up again. <laughs> like, turning 50 is not enough? You've got to remind <laughs> me about Lemmy. Ah... Uh, He's been dead a while. You should oh. get over it. <laughs> so many other people have died since Hold then. Hold on. Let me just quickly check. <laughs> yeah, that just still did. Yes. I just don't... I don't think I like what they've done with Stu over the last few weeks. Because they've, they've made him... Uh, they've made him that guy from your trivia team. Right. The guy who knows nothing but gets upset when you don't listen to his answers the guy who admits that he knows nothing right but because he thinks that something happened in 1790 then if you don't put 1790 down then oh well why am i even here well relax if you don't know the answer you don't know the answer it's fine but he was that he became that (laughs) guy then he became super jelly of yasmin and roy and i'm like (laughs) This is not the stew from the homeless stew days. No, no, it's not. I, I do find it really funny that we're criticizing the way he plays trivia, considering that last night we and our neighbor threatened to burn down one another's houses. Well, I had n- nothing to do with that. So you and our neighbor. Steli and our neighbor. <laughs> we love her and she loves us. Yeah, it's all good fun. It's all good fun. Oh, well. 
let's move on then to our next storyline, which is panic at the lawyer's office, even though there's no panicking going on, but it's still no. funny. On Monday, Dee Dee comes back from lunch to find Adam in a foul mood. Now, remember last week? Yes. Adam and Sarah had they'd agreed to divorce. Yes. But they were being... Very civil to one ve- another. Very civil and very understanding of each other. Yes. And, and Adam had apologised for being so horrible to, yes. to Sarah and, and all that sort of stuff. So it had kind of finished at the end of last week. I think probably as positively as it could. He was promising mm-hmm. to look after Harry and all that sort of stuff. So now he's in a bad mood again. You know why? You know why? His hair was misbehaving. <laughs> they couldn't get his hair to behave itself that All day. Week. Which, all week. Which was... happens with people with curly hair. It happens all the time with people with curly hair. There, there are just days you can't do anything with it. So that's when... Adam is in a film. <laughs> Such a bad mood. He doesn't want to talk about it, but promises that he's going to be in his best behaviour when they're meeting a client. In the pub later, Adam is still in a foul mood. Dee Dee doesn't think that his mood and booze are going to be a good mix, and Adam starts to talk about Sarah. Run, Dee Dee! Run for your life! Especially as Adam loses his temper with Daisy and her stupid testing, testing calls that she keeps on doing without adjusting anything. You don't just say testing, testing. And then say it again. You say testing, testing, then somebody changes something. Because you compare one thing with the other, that's why you're testing it. Yeah, but she was only saying that so that Adam would have an outburst. For the purposes of the right. story. Yeah. 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 But, but it's just not very realistic. Oh, well, yes, because this show is a champion of realism. It's like looking in a mirror sometimes. On Wednesday, Adam is still in a bad mood, but this time he's also an asshole as he falls out of the cab and onto the street looking the worse for wear. Dirty stop out. Of course, Sarah is passing remarks on his condition and suggests that he has a shower before meeting soft play later. Adam reacts badly to this and as Daniel approaches, he announces that he's young, free and single and he can do who and whatever he wants. Sarah is wearing blue jeans. (laughs) Yes, she is. And number one, Daniel... I've never seen her wear blue jeans before. Uh I don't think I've ever seen that character wear blue jeans before. Oh, yes. She's typically in a skirt. No, because she's got leather pants on occasionally. Right. Yeah, but they're leather. They're not blue jeans. Yeah, but it's not a skirt. She wears a lot of leather is what I'm saying. And a little bit of denim. (laughs) And a little bit of PVC. (laughs) (laughs) And number one... Daniel makes the tea and tries to have a manly chat with Adam, telling him that sleeping around isn't the way to go. Adam says that he only said that to get back to Sarah, and he kept his dick dry last night. Dikes, says Daniel. Yeah. What an asshole. Yeah, whatever happened to on good terms? Yeah, this is so not good terms. No, no, it's all because he's having a bad hair week in real life. So Adam goes round to pick up soft play later, and he tries to apologise, but Sarah says, look... But Sarah says, look, this is none of my business. You can see and who do. you want and do whatever you want. What else? I'd, I'd rather not know. Yeah, thanks. Adam says, well, if that's how you want it. What a strange thing for him to say there. Right, that's yes. how you want. No, I don't want any of this. Right, yeah. I'd rather that you were civil. Yes, please. That's as far as we get with that this week. Just a few scenes there just to Adam! remind us. I think that... He's the best thing about this storyline at the moment. And the way he's like, 
Are you coming to mummy? <laughs> Except he shouts everything. <laughs> it's so adorable. So cute. Now there are two of them. Yeah. They're twins. Yeah. I don't know which one it was, but they're both adorable. One of them shouts more than the other one does, I think. <laughs> That's just so funny. I love it. I want that character never to change. And to do that so all cute. through life, it would be, be amazing. Yeah, so Adam's been a bit of an asshole. Whatever's new. I, I mean, I do think that it is still done and dusted for them. And Sarah seems to have moved on a bit more emotionally this week than right. she was last week. She seems yeah. to be in a better place. Yes. And he's the one that's kind of losing his, yeah. losing his rag a bit. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's remember last week she'd had a miscarriage. Yeah. So. She's, it tends to do that to it's you. It's a week later, so she's fine now. Of course. Uh, <sighs> Our next storyline tonight is Dev's Hawaiian Spa. Ooh la la. On Monday, Dev gets home to find a massage table in his living room. Bernie found it on a skip. She's going to do massages now to make some money. This is an episode of The Simpsons. Homer finds something. Homer changes his job. Right, yes. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. This is an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. Dave is appalled when the door goes and it's Todd who's been talked into booking a massage by Paul. Dave continues to protest, but Bernie throws him out and orders Todd to strip. <laughs> but it turns out Bernie actually is quite shit hot at the old massages. Yes. And she's got Dave's front room decked out nicely, looking at like one of those spa places you see at the side of the road where local businesses have been strangled out of existence thanks to a nearby interstate. However, it all goes tits up pretty quickly when she goes away to get some lube or something and her new table collapses with Todd still on it. And that explains why it was in the skip. And he breaks his nose through the wee face hole thing. <laughs> I... Todd... The scenes... The scenes of Todd's wee face sticking in that hole talking to, to Bernie is just... Wonderful, wasn't so it? So funny. I loved that whole scene. His face is just... His wee face. Pure pleasure when he's getting massaged. <laughs> but it cuts to him just before the table collapses. Right. And I think it's maybe three frames uh-huh. of him looking fucking terrified. Right. Just before the table goes down. It's, it's so good. And it was so good because, you know, she's a way to get the hot stones. That's what it is. It isn't good at all. And... I was like, oh dear, she's going to make the stones too hot. But that's not what happens. The table collapses, which is better. Todd is furious. He has an appointment with a grieving family tomorrow and he looks like he's been thrown out of a moving car. He goes off to get dressed. His penis is unscathed. Thank God. Meanwhile, George is pished in the bar in another storyline while Dev and Bernie talk about Todd's broken nose and uninjured penis. (laughs) <laughs> Todd comes in with a face like a well-scalped arse but rather than be upset he's pleased because the kink in his back that's been bothering him for years although not enough to mention it has been fixed and he gets the drinks in He's too young to have a kink in his back that's been bothering him for years Bernie now is convinced that she can be a masseur in Dev's front room and that's the end of this week's Simpsons <laughs> And the way, he, the way he, she keeps saying your front room it's just so... She's making innuendo there, isn't she? Just a little. You think? Just a little. Mm. Mm. Her and Dev. Her and Dev. What a couple. Yeah, this is... 
I, seemingly pointless. Just it's just Monday. It's just filling time. I think she's found a table. The table is now yeah bust, but she's going to get another table. I right. think, and that's how she's going to make money because she's learned nothing from the Gemma episode where yeah, she got you need done certification. For, right. You do need certification to be a masseuse. Out of your house. <laughs> she could get it. She could get a table and go to people's houses and this massage is a, them. This is the best bit. She's not even doing it at her house. She's, She's doing, doing it at somebody house. else's house. Right, because Dev has more room because there are no quads there. Right, it's quadless. It is quadless. You're right, though. Todd's face through the hole was comedy so gold. So funny, and it had to be Todd. It had to be Todd. <laughs> Oh my god, I am so glad. I'm so glad they never ever revisited the Todd and Billy story after the disastrous beginning of him being back on the show because he is so good in every other storyline. He's a thousand percent better when we've it, said this. When Billy's not involved. When Billy's nowhere near involved, but more so when he's not involved romantically. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just he's become one of my favorite characters now he's one of the characters that you can rely on that's probably going to say something that's going to make you laugh right yeah and, and it's not it's not a contrived laugh no that is, um it, it might be a little cheap uh-huh. but it's delivered very right. very well and it's how he delivers it that yeah. really makes Gareth it Pierce is good at his job oh absolutely yeah, I agree though. One of my favourites as well. And this storyline, even though nothing really happened, the idea of Bernie doing massages in Dev's front room. Right. Sure. Where do I sign? And shots of of people's faces in the little hole. Right. Moving on then. Our next storyline is Educating Racist Kelly. On Wednesday, at number eight, Racist Kelly is down in the dumps. She oh get, no. She gets a call from her dad that she chooses to dinghy. Max tells her again that she's doing the right thing and that he's there for her and he chooses to say this in a way that makes it sound like there's potential for them to be romantically involved. Right, but and that's he not what he doing means. This. He goes to speed dial and speaks with Sean about racist Kelly and how her low mood and lack of money has not exactly given her a reason to get up in the morning. Max feels responsible for this. Shona suggests that racist Kelly should get a job but Max doesn't think many people will give her a fair crack of the whip. Leave it with me, says Shona. At the precinct, Gav appears and sexually assaults Max. Or just pants his Max. And it's it's great because Gav <laughs> is back. Gav's back. Yay! Thank fuck for that. Absolutely. All right, sweet cheeks. Do you think he's found Beck yet? <laughs> no. The two of them catch up about what happened with racist Kelly and his sister, Sabrina. Max explains that there's nothing going on between him and racist Kelly, but he can't just cut her loose when she has no one. <coughs> White knight. <coughs> Max asks to say hello to Sabrina for him, and Gav says he'll think about it. Right, and Gav also calls him on the stupidity of the whole racist Kelly thing. Seriously. Back at number eight, Shona announces that she's managed to get racist Kelly a job in Nina's roles. I'm sure Nina will love this. Racist Kelly is delighted, but worried that she'll fuck it up. Max is sure she won't. And Shona's there to keep her right. Because she's never had a job before. Surprise, surprise. On Friday, it's Racist Kelly's first day at Nina Rolls and she has a brand new crop top to celebrate. She's nervous as fuck, but Shona reassures her and says it's going to be fine. 
So Shona is pissed off with racist Kelly very quickly because she's sitting at a table on her phone in the cafe and Nina also tries to keep her right but she's already fucked up George's poached egg order. Roy puts her on cleaning tables duty which seems to please her. At the bus shelter later, Sabrina meets Max and he's on his way to Nina's Rolls, we presume, to see racist Kelly because he promised that he'd check in to see her later. It seems uh, Gav has passed on the message after all and the two of them wind up taking the piss out of each other a little bit and Sabrina suggests going back to his place which Max eventually agrees to after sending a dingy text to racist Kelly and racist Kelly sees this and she's very disappointed in what she sees. And they're going back to Max's place to play PlayStation. Nothing, there's no hole getting in here at all. Which I find (sighs) absolutely delightful and refreshing and just so cute because that's what kids would do. That's this is this is the right story for people these age. You know, this is it's funny because I was we were talking earlier about about the breakfast club and stuff and I was watching a video on on it earlier today, it, partly in research for our trip this weekend. And the guy was pointing out that one of the things that was really appealing to John, about John Hughes movies is that unlike a number of other 80s high school comedies, they seemed like real kids. They acted like real kids, even mm-hmm. though Judd Nelson was 25 years old. But anyway. He was in his 80s when that movie was made, <laughs> yes. Um, it's so hilarious watching, you know, interviews during that time of them talking about The Breakfast Club, and he's like in a three-piece suit. <laughs> oh, really? But, um, and, and they're right, because, you know, you think of other comedies based in high school in the 1980s and everybody does really look 25 and they're all having sex and and doing weird things whereas in john hughes movies except for you know except for some of them but you know nobody gets their hole in breakfast club or in um home alone (laughs) home alone (laughs) where the crooks are gonna oh no that's just a terrible movie I shouldn't have said Home Alone. No, but anyway, you, <laughs> you know, they, they're acting like actual kids. They're goofing off. They're dancing on the sh- tables. They're, you know. Well, Brian is lying about getting his hole. Lying, right. Brian says that, oh, it's a girl in Canada. You wouldn't know her. Right, yeah. Which, which we all know which what that means now. Everyone's heard somebody say that right. at school. Oh, no, she's not from this town. You wouldn't know her. She's from Canada. Uh, oh, really? Because she doesn't exist? It's maybe that right, one. yes. Yeah. Because there are no girls in Canada. <laughs> I'm sure we saw a couple when we were there a couple of weeks ago. Maybe. Anyway, no hole has gotten given. No, yeah. Or taken here. Yes. This is this all is great. All above board. Love it. So, uh, Yasmin storms into Nina Rolls, furious that they're going to employ racist Kelly after everything that she's done to her family. Roy thinks she's a victim too and deserves a second chance, and this seems to placate Yasmin to some degree, but she refuses to extend the same courtesy herself. Meanwhile, Max and Sabrina are playing PlayStation, and Max realises that he can't just be her mate. He wants to get his hole off her too. But Sabrina mm-hmm. sticks to her guns. As much as she'd like to oblige, that won't be happening while racist Kelly is in Max's life. And this is something that I really liked. Yes. That Sabrina 
is 100% in control of this. Yes. And is sticking to her guns. Yes, isn't that great? She's made a plan. She's She's got a condition right. to this friendship right. that is perfectly reasonable. Yes. And she's not going to be swayed from this right. by anybody. And even Max is so mature and reasonable in this conversation because he is the one who says, this isn't going to work out because I can't just be your friend. Right. You know, he's honest with her. And it's so refreshing. It's These two are m- more mature than all of the adults on the show. <laughs> Chesney goes into Nina's roles to charge to change twenty quid, but racist Kelly reacts badly and snaps at Chesney that they're not a bank. Then she fucks up someone else's order. And when Shona comes in, racist Kelly doesn't think Roy is likely to extend her trial, but Shona reckons that she'll never meet a more patient boss. So don't write off your chances so quick. And Shona's right, because Roy apparently does take racist Kelly on, so that's great news for crop top sales in the area. But racist Kelly isn't 100% happy because she's pissed at Max for not showing up for moral support. And he explains that he was with Sabrina, which she knows because she saw them. Right. And <clears> again, <throat> how great is this that Max doesn't lie to her? Just tells her the truth, He right? tells her the truth. This is so refreshing. Yeah. He says it's not back on with him because he refused to cut racist Kelly out of his life, which again is sending mixed messages right. to the wee racist lassie. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. I'm so glad that Gav and Sabrina have shown up again because it was looking very dodgy for a while there. Right. The, the only reason that they existed was to prove that Max wasn't racist. Anymore. Anymore, yeah. Are only racist against Muslims. Right. Still. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. We haven't seen him react to any Muslim people that don't already that he hasn't already attacked in some way. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are there are implications of having a character be racist six months ago or eight months ago or whatever that we're still we're still getting the kinks out of that now because does it really change has, has it I think it's changed but right I think people in the street are perfectly reasonable to to want more proof or to right. give it more time because and Yasmin's reaction is perfectly acceptable yeah yeah and although Roy is also perfectly acceptable by saying look she was also a victim but he is also the person that will give racist Kelly that chance. But right. if she doesn't do it and she lets him down, then, well, you you had your chance. Right. He'll give everyone a chance. Yes. And that's that's what he's doing here. So this is right. completely in, in keeping with him. Yes. But I don't know. It's I, I can see I can see where the storyline is trying to make this make sense by having Max feel guilty about talking racist Kelly out of seeing her dad. And now she has done that. She has nobody. So he feels like he has to be her everything. Right. But he doesn't want to be her everything in that way. But no. she seems she to be... She is taking this the wrong she way. She is the latching. She needs to get love from somebody or something that looks like love. Right. From... From yeah. a male, some, right. somehow. Because what she got from her dad wasn't exactly love either. You know, 
It was manipulative and conditional. But hey, she's got a job now, so maybe she can move back in with her mom. <laughs> because that's what her mom's boyfriend wanted. Right, yeah. Yes. And she left because how dare he expect me to get a job. Mm-hmm. But then when Max says you should get a job, yeah, then, then she'll get a job. So I, I can see that he's doing what he thinks is the right thing. But right. everyone else in the... And everyone else in this story knows that he's not. Yeah. And everybody watching this knows that he's not. Well, here's the thing, though. Do they? Because all of a sudden, Shona and David are okay with her being in the house and living with them. You would think of all of the people, they would be the ones saying, you know what? Nah. You cannot be this girl's everything, Max. This is unhealthy. She cannot stay. Right. But they're letting this happen. Gav has more emotional maturity and intelligence than adults named David and Shona in the show. She thinks she's doing the right thing as well. Somehow, Shona. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Shona and David seem to think that this is okay now because she has nowhere else to go. But she does have somewhere else to go. Everybody always has a choice, Mm -hmm. you know, and she does have a mother. She just had to get a job to stay with her mother. But this is it. Is Max responsible for her for the rest of her life? At what point is he not responsible for this anymore? Right, yeah. And he's not responsible for it. No. He just feels obligated for some reason that doesn't make any sense. And what's going to happen is she's going to get her feelings hurt at some point, and then what's going to happen? And meanwhile, this Sabrina is... Delightful! Delightful, and sitting there and wondering, you know, what do I need to do here to not be second choice? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just dreadful decision-making. Absolutely. Our penultimate storyline tonight is, is it too late to change the big number? On Friday, it's a big day for Joseph. Little Big Shot's audition for the Summer Spectacular is coming up and Bernie has him gargling with honey. And we saw earlier on uh, Eliza and it was about the only thing that was even thinking about cracking a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrone's Hope and Ruby 2.0. Oh. Tubi? <laughs> They're practicing ahead of... You the... can stream movies for free on... <laughs> Pratson the head of the summer spectacular thing. Hope can't really sing, but is looking for the solo spot and refuses to do a duet with poor Tubi. Right, and and Tubi keeps telling her how great she is and talking her up. And Hope's like, I know, I know, I'm great. Right. She's not great. No, she's terrible. She's not great at all. Can you whistle, Hope? Because she can't fucking sing. She seems like she's trying to rap, and she can't do that either. No. At the community centre, Glenda is ready to announce who gets a big solo at the Summer Spectacular. Hope is sure that she's going to get it, as is everyone else. But Glenda awards the showstopper, an unfortunately timed special by Lizzo, is <laughs> going to to be. Hope, Hope is pissed, but pretends to be happy that she, Joseph and Eliza will be on the BGVs on this song that they're probably going to have to change quick sharp. And the poor kid, the poor blonde haired kid who has one line... Harsh gets nothing. No now, backup. That's that's Liam. Right? That's not Liam. Liam has brown hair, doesn't he? 
Liam's not blonde. Well, that's the other one then. What other one? There's another one. <laughs> no, I think this is just some random kid. No, I don't we've think... seen him before. He's somebody's kid. I don't think so. He is. I think he's just been at Little Big Shots before. No, no, he has. He's somebody's he's, kid. He's like that guy in the factory who we get to see this week. Who Dirk. we haven't seen. Yeah. No, he's not like that. He's the Dirk of no, Little Big Shots. He isn't because he got a line. Dirk's had a line before, hasn't he? I don't I think so. I thought he's had one line before. Nope. In the pub, he said something once. When they were all <laughs> sitting around in that booth. I, can't, I wish I knew, or I wish I could remember who said this on Twitter because it made me laugh so much. <laughs> but somebody says, somebody needs to give Dirk a line and that line has to be, hole punch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing he can say. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. So, anyway, Hope, Tubi and Tyrone are telling Nina all about the audition when Tubi goes in to tell Roy because Roy gives a solitary fuck about any of this. Nina bums up the role of the background vocals performer and offers to do Hope's makeup, all of which cheers Hope up. And that's as far as we get with that this week. She's also going to do Tubi's. But going to do Hope's a little Extra special. special. Yeah. So she's going to be goth now. So just keep all bananas off the set for this summer spectacular thing. Oh my thing. god. Isn't it? I mean... Because these are children. Think, these are children. You would think... I mean, this is this is the thing. I could just imagine the writer's room and them trying to decide what the kids are going to sing yep. and who is a safe choice. Somebody... A singer who is beloved by the majority of people and not controversial at all. And they went with Lizzo. Mm-hmm. How did that work out for them? Oh, God. I, How did that decision that was made three months ago work I out know. for them? It's like Taylor Swift is right there, man. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Always a safe choice. Unless you want to date her. Oh. Harsh, says that boy. That <laughs> Since a bloodhood kid. Yeah, he's, he's a thing. I'm sure he's a thing. <laughs> So, Jake Gyllenhaal give her back her scarf. Is he Jake? Maybe that's Jake. That's not Jake. That's Jake. Jake has brown hair as well. No, no child it's on the Jake street has blonde hair. Either Jake or Liam. They both have brown hair. It's, that kid is just a random. That it's is not Dirk Junior. It's not. It's Dirk Junior. It's not. It's definitely definitely. Also, there should be more children in that scene. Oh sure. So, what do we think of Tubi? It's weird because she's so different. She is. She's so different. And so you think initially, oh, Hope has a friend over. That's Hope nice. Has, Hope's got a new friend. Hope's got a new friend. Oh, no, that's that's supposed to be Ruby. And what they did that I appreciated, because normally when somebody's head gets changed, right. everyone tells them what their name is mm-hmm. because... They want you. Oh, uh-huh. they don't want you to think that Hope's got a new friend. They right. want you to say, "Oh, that's that's the new Ruby." Right. So Hope really should have said Ruby about six or seven times yeah. in that first scene, and she didn't do it. No. And neither did Tyrone. No. So I, I didn't. I didn't miss not having it there. <sighs> I think she's clearly uh, someone who has a background of acting yes. and has done something before, maybe not yeah. on TV or, or something, but you know, she's done sort of youth 
theatre or, or whatever. Right. So she seems very much at home in yes. what she's doing. And the re dance move looked very natural yes. as well. So, but, and, I'm, and I'm no, nothing. Nothing negative to the no. real lassie, but she's she's not Ruby. No, yet. yeah, yeah. And it's just going to take and time. It's, it's just it feels weird because when Max got a head change, they looked enough alike where I could like accept it right away. Yeah, if they I, were, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. And this is nothing against the the new actor playing Ruby. I just I wish they had gone. With a girl who looked more like Ruby 1.0. You know? I'm sure they just went with the child actor. Who was the best for the who role. Who was the best for the role. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And that's perfectly you fine. You can't ask for, for no. any more than that. It's just going to take some getting used to. It's just going to take a little while to get used it's to. It's hilarious, though, how, how all of the other children are constantly telling Hope how great she is. They're you, terrified they're of her. clearly terrified of this girl. <laughs> clearly terrified of her did you see the the picture of her and and her sister with with jude and i think his brother you know on instagram that they were all hanging out together oh it was no, so didn't. cute they look so different when they're not in character because hope is you know the the actor playing hope is clearly i mean they're all clearly older than their characters, you know, mm-hmm. in, in in their daily life. It's a bit like Judd Nelson, only in reverse. That was Jake. No way. It was Jake. Jake has brown hair. Did they change Jake's face too? That was Jake. Jake was in the show tonight. Who's, who's Jake's parents again? Gary. Oh, that's one of Gary's many children. It's one of Gary's. Right. If in doubt, it's Gary. It's either Gary's or Steve's. Anyway, let's move on because I'm sure we're infuriating everyone. <laughs> and our final storyline tonight is the ghost of Rufus Houndstooth. On Monday in the factory, Michael takes a call from Donahue's and in tomorrow's meeting, Rufus Houndstooth's widow, Lou, will be chairing. This gives Michael the heebie-jeebies and he wants to sit it out, but Stephen, who also has the heebie-jeebies, tells him to man up. Nipper Snapper is his baby after all. Later, Stephen is working late when Michael comes to apologise, but as they're talking about the meeting tomorrow, Lou, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory to tell him that the meeting tomorrow is cancelled because Rufus's inquest report is published and she's pushing the police to reopen the investigation. His death was suspicious as fuck and she's already contacted the papers, all of which could have been said on the phone without the exposition, but there you go. Privately, Stephen and Michael are thrown by this. Michael reckons the Nationals will get their teeth into it and hopes it doesn't reflect badly on them. In the office, Stephen is on the whiskey reading stories about Rufus and the Northwest News Online and also the Daily Typograph, because that's a newspaper name. Rufus's widow will not rest until evil killer found. Is that supposed to be the Daily <clears throat> Fail? No. Do you think? I think it's like the sun or something. <laughs> On Wednesday, in the factory, Stephen has been there all night reading articles about Rufus and Lou. And drinking whiskey. He gets a call from Michael, who reminds Stephen and us of the inquest. Apparently the results will be today. All right, Bobags, says Carla. She bursts into the office. She wants Stephen at a lunchtime meeting at the bistro to meet a potential new buyer for the factory. 
At the bistro, Stephen is still on his phone reading local news while Carla tries to make plans for the meeting and then the prospective buyer arrives and she's wearing a very fetching teal pantsuit. <laughs> Stephen turns on the charm and nearly takes her eye out. The meeting seems to go well, but the potential buyer doesn't think the factory is a good fit for her, so she fucks off after giving Stephen a wank. Right. I mean a wink. Yeah, she <coughs> thinks Stephen's a good fit for her, though. Uh-huh. Carla's impressed at Stephen's wily ways as there's another woman with her eye on him. This time, it's Lou Houndstooth, the widow of one Rufus Houndstooth, and she's wearing a powder blue pantsuit. Stephen is in a world of worry as Lou explains about the inquest. It was death by misadventure, but Lou isn't believing it for a minute. Carla suddenly remembers that she really doesn't want to be here, so she leaves Stephen to it. And Lou goes on about how this has affected her kids, Jules and Tabitha. (sighs) Rufus's death has hit them both really hard. Rufus was a dick, but he was always a great dad. And that's why she has to get to the bottom of this. Some fucker has killed their dad, and she's going to find out who, see? Yeah, he was a great dad who used to tell his kids (laughs) dirty jokes. And take drugs. (laughs) <laughs> on Friday, Tim and Peter are having a time-filling conversation about how to make a cup of tea when Stephen comes along to tell Tim that he's looking for a new place to live and he'll be out of the flat soon and Tim passively-aggressively tells him just to take his time. When he goes, Tim tells Peter that he just wants to keep him close. <sighs> and then for some reason, Lou is hanging around outside the factory talking to Carla about Rufus. It's his memorial today and Carla would appreciate... no. And Lou would appreciate some representation from Underworld. She gets a call from the police and wanders away. Stephen tries to get out of it, but Carla isn't hearing a word of it and tells him to get a tie. And the memorial, <laughs> that was funny. of course, is at the Rape Hotel. And there's hardly anybody there. And they've picked like the worst picture of Rufus ever. Seriously. It's, it's such a bad picture. It could only, did- only be worse if he had just woken up. They didn't have like a he didn't have like a professional headshot as a head of a business. Nope. There was no official portrait. He's wearing a, like a ski anorak or He's something. He's wearing a parka, <laughs> and his head is just engulfed in this hood. <laughs> a random young man taps Stephen on the shoulder and demands to know how he knew Rufus. It's Rufus's son. What's his name? Jules. Jules. After a while, Stephen says that he knew Rufus through work, and Carla says they were friends. And Lou comes along to remind us of the kid's name, Jules. It seems like a bit of a pain in the arse. Two actors in non-speaking roles come along, so Lou goes off to see them, while Carla wonders why Stephen was so weird with Rufus's kid. Stephen says he's not good with death. (laughs) 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 And sneaks out. Stephen nips back to the factory and drags the rest of the knicker people back to the memorial and instructs instructs them to pretend to be colleagues of Rufus. And by the rest of the Nicker people, you mean Izzy, Sean, Kirk, Kirk and, and Dirk. Dirk. <laughs> Kirk and Dirk are together. Kirk and Dirk and Kirk and Dirk. Which is nice. Uh, Carla is impressed that Stephen had a heart. And then Lou gives a speech about how great the guy she was divorcing was while the colour drains from Stephen's face. And then Jules says a few words in an attempt to make Stephen shit himself. And he scurries off upset, which is seen by Lou. Later, Kirk is telling Lou that he and Rufus did the electric boogaloo or something. She tells Stephen that she knows knicker people when she sees them and she's quite touched that Stephen got them to come along. 
She tells him that she saw him sneak out earlier. He says he had a headache, so she rummages in her bag for some painkillers and pulls out a bag with Rufus's personal effects in them, including his glasses and a tie pin that looks very much like one that Stephen lost. Uh-oh! Later, the knicker people all file out, all sorry for Lou's loss, except Carla, who laughs for some reason. <laughs> Carla knows what it's like to lose a husband, so offers her sympathies and invites her to a coffee later. Finally, Stephen offers to help them take their stuff up to the room, which Lou agrees to, but then remembers to pick up her shit, including the bag with the tie pin in it. And Sean is there to help. Yes. And this is what Stephen was wanting to do, to take all that stuff up to the room and just steal the tie pin back. Right. Carla and Lou go to the bistro to continue their morbid chat about dead husbands and how Lou has now got half of Rufus's businesses and she doesn't know how she's going to be able to juggle it with the kids. Carla reminds her to take time to look after herself. Then Peter comes along and he's introduced to Lou. She's got a meeting with the cops tomorrow and mentions that she can't work out why his watch was missing. Gulp, says Peter. Right. Lou says if his watch is missing and his car was stolen, maybe he was killed. Peter suddenly has a dose of the scoots and scurries off. Lots of men are scurrying off in front of Lou this week. Mm. And later, Carla wants to know what that was all about, so Peter has to admit that Rufus left his watch in his cab, so he pawned it and used the money for her rehab. Carla remembers Peter said that he won that money on a horse, and the watch wasn't his to take. Should have kept your mouth shut, Peter, and just said that you had the shits, because now Carla thinks Peter should tell Lou and should probably buy the watch back. Oof. In the Rovers, chat is underway between Sean, Tim and Kirk about Craigie's 25th that's coming up and they obviously start talking about buying him a tie pin. Sean seems to have intimate knowledge of the tie pins and how they're making a comeback because Stephen has one and that dead bloke's missus. She had one in a plastic bag at the memorial earlier on. Stephen's guts are suddenly playing up again and he quickly leaves. They calls Lou at the Rape Hotel to see how she's doing and to reschedule the meeting and she agrees but says it's going to have to be later because she's taking the type into the cops. She reads out the inscription that's on it. Love, G, kiss. Stephen panics because Lou knows that Rufus didn't know anyone whose name began with G and this typing did not belong to Rufus. And that's how we end this week's episode. Can you imagine Craig with a typing? I can't imagine Craig wearing a tie. Well, he's a detective now. He has to wear a tie. No, he doesn't wear a tie. He has an open-necked shirt. Right. Eventually, someone will correct him and say, dude, you're a detective now. you got to wear a tie. Plain clothes. You don't have to wear a tie in plain clothes. you got to wear a tie. You don't, because that means you look like Name a Name one other detective. Starsky. Other... It's interesting that you went with Starsky and not Hutch. Well, that was going to be my next one. <laughs> and then the Miami Vice guys. But that's Miami. That's different. Everybody has to wear Hawaiian shirts and no socks. The lovely DS Swain wearing a tie. Well, she's a lady detective. Oh, really? So that's different. Oh, well. Everybody wears a tie in Law and Order. The net is closing in on Stephen now. Dum, dum, dum. Love it. Love it. Kick him to the curb with Lizzo. <laughs> this tie pin, I thought it was going to be his reaction to. Tim's mum that was a catalyst to all this. And in a way, it has been, because that gave Tim's mum insight into the real Stephen and to, right. to make to her manifest off. her doubts and all that sort of stuff. This typing, which we saw in flashback yeah. on him. Yeah. But then we seen flashback falling off, and I don't remember seeing it falling off 
Which means I'm going to have to well, go back and watch it. Slowed, because it was slowed down in the flashback. I'm going to have to watch that uh, episode again. You and don't then, have to. Well, I am. And then Sean says that he remarked upon the typing when Stephen came into the Rovers that night. Right. And he, he thinks nothing of it, but he remembers it. Does this mean that Stephen is going to kill Sean next? <laughs> be still my beating heart. We, we should be so lucky. That's <laughs> never going to happen. But it does feel like this is finally going to be Stephen's come up and he's yes. probably at the end of his killing spree. Yes. Because this Lou's, she's no fucking about here. No, she's not. <clears throat> and she's, and she's, she's not letting, she's not letting the cops off at all. No. You know, she's very persistent. You know, and she's 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 right when she says, you know, the whole misadventure thing doesn't make sense because he was very careful about microdosing and never overdosed, you know, and was did drugs, but was very careful with them. Mm -hmm. That is suspicious that that all of a sudden he wouldn't be for no apparent reason when he had so much to live for, like telling dirty jokes to his young children. What surprises me about this? is the personal effects that have, I assume, recently been handed back to to Lou after the inquest has closed and given its verdict, because that's how they're able to have the funeral and stuff now. Right. So they're handing back this bag, which is an evidence bag. Well... Why didn't the police have any questions about this type-in before now? Have you met the Weatherfield police? <laughs> well... They're not all D.S. Swain. No. But they're not all Craig. <laughs> no, some, some of them... Some of them are Craig. Some of them are Craig. And some of them are that creepy guy who followed Daisy on Insta after taking her statement. But it's the fact that it's been bagged. And then there's the racist guy. They've, they've, they've found it. They've bagged it. They haven't had any questions about it. Where any... It's obvious that they've done some kind of investigation... <clears throat> Some kind of genetic, you couldn't do any fingerprints on it because it's a, just a silly wee typing. Right. But I'm sure you could maybe get something from it. Right. There's probably <clears> DNA <throat> on there. Well, first of all, it's not an evidence bag. It's just a plastic baggie because in evidence, all of those things would be in their own individual baggie. This is just something that they've chucked. You're missing and my point. You collect, You're missing my point. The point you, is it's been bagged. Somebody has bagged that. Right. But this is, you know, they... Just because it's in a bag to hand back to the wife doesn't mean that it's been... But, but this is stuff from the scene. Right. Nobody's just going to go, in, oh, well, that's his glasses, so I'll just take this away, and that's a type, and I'll put that in a bag, and I'll just take that away. I don't think that's how crime scene detection works. I think that there has to be... some Somebody has to sign off on this to say, we're done with this, we don't need it. And what I'm saying is, somebody really should have done some some detecting well, on this. Let's remember, the cops from the very beginning, or not really from the very very beginning, but from shortly after the beginning, just wrote this off as an overdose, and never really looked back. If there's one thing that we've learned from listening to multiple true crime podcasts and watching multiple true crime documentaries on Netflix. Once the cops have an idea in their head, 
they don't tend to change their minds. The whole place, even with evidence right in front of them. The whole place was was taped off, and a rich white man has died. They are going to investigate that. Yeah, I don't think so. But, well, well, they haven't, but no. but they should have, because somebody found that typing. Yeah. But because they, you know, just assumed it was a drug overdose, they don't really care. This happens all the time, even with dead white dudes. And the cops don't know that Rufus didn't know anybody named G. They, they look at it, they're like, oh, it's a tie pen. Give it back to the wife. What's Peter going to do here? Because Peter potentially is in a shitload of bother. He's going to go away. <laughs> this is why he's going. This is, this is the reason why he leaves for an extended period of time. That makes sense when he's very much in love with Carla and they have one of the healthiest relationships on the street. He runs away. Well, I don't know if they do have a healthy relationship because we never see it. Well, that's how we know they have a healthy relationship because <laughs> we never see it. And when we do, they're adorable together. Yeah, they were good. They were good on Friday. Yeah. It, she's so good when she's like, all right, what's going on? I know something's going on. I know your face. Mm-hmm. I know when something's bothering you. I can, I've, I've smelt the smell before from you. Right. In your guts, Peter. What's, what's going on here? Right. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's potentially in some bother here because he doesn't want to get fingered. No. Not like that anyway. Well, you haven't said not like that all night, so I have to give you something. Thank you. Thank but not you. not like that. I appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> but not like that? No, no. Well, you you giving me something, but not uh, like that. No, Helen, I know. <laughs> it was me that said it. Anyway. Yeah, but it's also weird because he lost that watch weeks. Oh, weeks before he died yeah and, and then, you're telling me that lou never saw him without the watch for weeks and it, this watch was so very important to him and he never reported it lost or stolen before he died there is a slight continuity error with it that yes. i noticed at the time that he had the watch after he'd lost it right <laughs> but whatever that's, whatever it's fine maybe it was a different watch well they've had to put it into if, Chris Gascoigne's right. wanting a break, so they have to put something that's going to get... I, I agree, I think this is the thing that's going to get him. But please not make it on the run, because that means that they think that Peter's responsible for this. What happened with the car that Paul stole? Did, did they return it? I think they... Or did they set it on fire somewhere? They destroyed it somewhere, I think, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, no, got pulled over in it, didn't he? Yeah, he got pulled over in it. The cops pulled him over in it. That's what happened. The cops pulled him over while he was re-stealing the car. Right. Yeah, so the cops have it. Right, so the cops know that the that that's that yeah. Paul's not got anything to do with us and the car right. theft is something that was separate. Right. Okay, right. That's okay. right. But just that Peter still could be in a shitload of bother here. Right. And Lou mentions the car being stolen as if it's still a thing. Right. And that's what's kinda of confusing me. Right, yeah. Oh well. Oh well. We've got a Chicago to go to, so we better. And it's wrap very this hot in this room. It's always hot in this room. That's because you're in it. And that was the week that was Coronation Street. So Helen, tell me what was your moment of the week? 
Todd's wee face. <laughs> really? After no, Everton, the hunt is going to be Jenny. It's Jenny it's crying. Jenny. It's Jenny apologizing to a picture. Of course, it's Jenny apologizing to a picture. Todd's wee face. You try to get away with that. Shame on you. I had to try. Jenny saying sorry to poor Betty. Moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the Chesney week. Chesney washing dishes. <laughs> Chesney washing dishes. Chesney washing dishes. That is our boring moment of the week. Now, we did this last week. And I think I quite liked just putting a number on it. Mm-hmm. So last week you gave it eight and a half, bizarrely, out of ten. I gave it four and a half out of ten. What are you going to give it this week? Seven. See, I think I'm going to give it an eight. <gasps> I really enjoyed it this week. I thought it was much, much better. And the storylines that I didn't care about, I cared about enough to enjoy. I thought it was done better. Much better this week. Still was too annoying. And oh, he was annoying. So was Chesney. There was no Chesney last week. That's why it got a higher score. <laughs> so you're giving it a 7. Yes. I'm giving it an 8. That's a 15 out of 20 for this week. Yeah. So good stuff. A good, good week. Stuff. Yeah. It's been better lately. Well, this week. Last week I didn't enjoy it at all. Last week was great too. You know. The, and the things that were kind of cringy about this week were things that the writers had no control over. Like Lizzo. <laughs> Henry and Chesney's sparring match if you want to call it that I think forgives Chesney this week no <laughs> oh well this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast Daisy, French Helen and Pickles merci beaucoup to all trace <laughs> <laughs> yikes yes if you've ever punched Henry in the face <laughs> if you've ever punched Henry in the face we are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Threads you can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube please. channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. And email us. <laughs> on that podcast as well. Yes. And then and then you can just go about whatever you were your plans for the rest of the day. That's right. Fine. Yes. Nobody ever emails us in that other podcast. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Uh, talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.